how am I showing up in the world? Not, not this identity I have, but like, how am I showing up for myself and others in the world? You know, am I being honest? Am I being vulnerable? Am I, am I sharing my truth instead of like putting on this happy face and pretending everything's okay? Like that's, to me, that's more important than any identity, to be honest. Like, I just want people to feel supported and have permission to open their hearts and to share and to feel connected. Like that's, that's really what I want to create. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Hello, and welcome to episode number 179 of the Optimize Yourself podcast. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, that you have chosen to invest your valuable time and attention with me. I promise you're not going to regret it after listening to my interview today with Melissa Costello, who is a transformational eating coach who has spent the last 15 years helping people that struggle with emotional eating. Full disclaimer, including me, which you can hear all about in my first interview with Melissa, and I provided a link in the show notes. But right now, in the middle of what she calls the messy middle of a major career transition where she is struggling to define the next stages in her career, while also kind of sort of managing an identity crisis along the way. Now, our conversation today is centered around the feelings of doubt, confusion, and uncertainty that often come with major transitions. Imposter syndrome, anybody? Once you get past the excitement of pursuing a new path, you get thrust into the middle of trying to navigate the challenges that come with building a new identity and letting go of the safety and the security of the old one. And may I also say, the worst part is the discomfort that comes along with leaving things that are comfortable. Melissa speaks openly and honestly about refocusing her coaching from emotional eating towards empowering women through something that's called equine partnered therapy, which you're gonna learn more about. 
Now, listen, being a life coach does not make her exempt from the common feelings of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, doubt, and anxiety over whether or not she's even following the right path. In this conversation, we discuss the tools, the habits, the strategies, but most importantly, the mindsets that we can use on ourselves to make sure that we are staying aligned to our values and true to our deeper whys. If you find yourself struggling with a major life or a career transition, and you're thinking that you're not good enough, or you're going to fail, or insert 1,000 other excuses here for not taking that chance, this interview will inspire you to continue forging ahead with the confidence that you can succeed, and yes, even in the middle of an identity crisis. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with transformational life coach, Melissa Costello. To access the show notes for this episode with all of the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 179. I'm here today with Melissa Costello, who is a transformational life coach, a counselor of spiritual psychology. You are an equine partnered coach, or for those that are wondering what an equine partnered coach is, an equine partnered coach, because you and I have had this debate about how to even pronounce this word, and I'm sure we'll talk more about what it is. Um, and I also want to let people know that you have actually been a very instrumental part of my own journey as a coach to me, somebody that really helped me deal with a lot of the psychological and emotional issues, specifically around food and habits and learning mindfulness. And I will make sure that there's a link in the show notes to our previous conversation, because we're going to dive right in with very little pretext or context, um, which I'm excited to do. But first of all, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm, I love that I got asked back and I love being here and I'm super excited for this conversation today. Yeah, I'm excited about it too, because you and I at one point were very close and talking on a weekly basis and you knew all of my deepest, darkest secrets. Yes. And then all of a sudden the world decided to completely implode and there was a pandemic and all of these things have changed. And now we're dealing with wars and all kinds of great stuff uh, that we can talk about today. Um, but the first and most important question that I want to start with, which might actually be the hardest, is how are you? Oh, uh, it depends on the moment, day, hour. <laughs> I, you know, right now I would just say I'm okay. I'm excited to be here. And just in general, I'm okay. I've been on a bit of a roller coaster ride um, as of late. And that's been a little tricky to navigate between my business, my personal life, dealing with just some anxiety and panic attacks in the past three months that came kind of, I wouldn't say came out of nowhere, uh, but we'll probably talk about that a little bit more. But I have to say I'm taking things on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you would ask me two days ago, I would have said, I'm really lousy today. <laughs> so I'm glad that I can say that I'm okay today. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you back on and the reason I'm so excited about this is your honesty. And I figured, why not just open the wound, twist the knife and pour the salt <laughs> in from question one? Let's just start right off the bat. None of these pleasantries. Let's just get right into it. Um, and I'm glad that you said that you were just okay. And I guess where, where I'd like to start without necessarily going into all the, the history of all the things that have gone on for the last couple of years, I think this is a, a really important question for me to better understand from your perspective, because I'm dealing with it. It's got to be really hard to say publicly in front of people that you're just okay when your entire livelihood and identity is tied up in being a coach that helps people being better than okay. Yes. How, are, how are you reconciling that right now? It's, it's been, it's been challenging. So, um, 
in December, my dog got really, really sick and it was five days of what I would consider hell for me. Um, probably worse for me than her. She's, she's still alive and here, thankfully. Uh, but that set kind of a series of events into motion that just really kicked off a lot of anxiety for me, a lot of panic, like panic attacks and things like that. So can you remind me what the question was? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the, the question is essentially knowing that you are a coach to others. How do you reconcile the fact that you're not consistently awesome and amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going into my story. So the thing is, is that as a coach, I am still a human being. And I have done a ton of personal growth work in my life. I've worked through a lot of my own kind of childhood traumas that I dealt with, with an alcoholic father and just not a lot of safety in my life. And that's what actually prompted me to start doing deeper work with people is because of all the things that I had experienced. So me going through what I'm going through now, I'm trusting that that's only going to make me a better coach and that the people that need my help now are in a place where I can help them, you know? So I'm also learning a lot about myself. I'm learning a lot about trauma. I'm learning a lot about anxiety. And I think that's only going to help me support my clients even better down the road. But being where I am, it has been hard because, you know, there's part of me that went into fear around, oh my God, how is this going to affect my business? How is me being in this place? You know, what are other people going to think of me? But I really had to kind of backpedal on that and say to myself, like, it's okay, you're a human being. And that actually my, me being vulnerable, letting people know where I am gives other people permission to be vulnerable as well. And to share what they're going through and going through this process has really helped me get closer to a lot of people in my life that I've kind of, you know, over the years have either isolated from or just gotten more distant from because we don't live in the same area or we don't touch base all the time. And these are some really close friends of mine that, you know, at any given time I could call them and say, Hey, you know, I'm struggling, but going through this, my friends have shown up in a way that I've never experienced before. And I've had to do something which is really hard, which is ask for help all the time. And as someone who's a coach and helps others, that's really hard, but that's kind of my lesson I've needed to learn through this. And, and I think that it gives other people permission to do the same and that my humanness allows my clients and other people to see like, oh, okay, I'm human too. And I can go through struggles. And if my coach can go through struggles, it's okay that I'm going through struggles. And so I feel like it's, informed a lot of the work that I'm doing and even more so in, in the future, I feel like it's going to inform it. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I think that's such a, a huge component of being a coach and or a mentor that so many people overlook. There's this misconception that it's all about the accolades and the achievements and the certifications and how much education do you have on the subject. But I believe all those things are important, by the way. But I think the number one most important thing that you must possess as a coach is going to help somebody else's empathy. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Saying, I sympathize with your situation is important. Saying, I have either been in the exact same trench as you, or by the way, I'm in it right now. I think that has a tremendous amount of value and it allows people to be more vulnerable and open up because they know that they're in a much safer space, but they also know they've been with somebody or they are with somebody 
that's been through the exact same things, they just might be a few steps ahead and knows a few of the, the tricks or tips or some of the pitfalls to avoid. And I think that that's, it's, it's such a, a hard part of being a coach, at least for me. And this is where I might just be trying to eke out a free coaching session with you because I desperately need one. <laughs> um, but as you know, I've, this is something I've had a hard time reconciling for years is how can I put myself out there as an influencer and a coach when I'm not perfect? Like that's, that's really hard for me because as a recovering perfectionist, even before it was a part of my business model, I had to put this image of myself out there as being perfect and really having a hard time dealing with struggles or burnout or depression. And it was when I started sharing those things publicly years ago that the program actually started to grow and people started to listen and follow mm -hmm. and read. And that's where I've gotten my students from. Yeah. But I don't learn the lesson. Why don't I learn the lesson? Because <laughs> the, the funny thing is, what I just actually kind of realized now as we're talking is that when I've gone through this in the past, it's always been I hit the pause button on everything. And then as things get better, I retroactively go back and write about it or talk to other people about it. Except this time, I am in it. I am like right in it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to embrace it and have these conversations and write about it because I've never been brave enough to write about it while I was in it. It was always after I'd quote unquote figured it out. Right, right. right. Like, and oh, I good. I'm on the other side now. So I can like write about it and tell people about it because I'm not. Yeah. And I can share what I did to get out of it. Yeah. And now it's like, hey, everybody, I'm here right now. Right. It's like I'm coming to you live from the middle of absolute total burnout. And I'm here to report like that's I've never been in that position to, to, I guess, have the courage to do it. But it's taken years of sharing that vulnerability. And I think it's important for anybody else listening that's going through it, even if they aren't a coach or an entrepreneur, that once you share some of that vulnerability, even if it's just with your closest circle, um, you find that it actually can strengthen those bonds and um, it actually makes it much easier to get out of it quicker rather than trying to pretend that everything is okay. Because there's nothing more exhausting right now or for the last two years than pretending that you are okay, because none of us are okay. For the love of God, none of us are okay. And to be honest, it, it makes us more relatable. I can't relate to someone who portrays perfectionism. And I used to do that when I was younger. I'm a recovering perfectionist as well. And I think over the years, I've learned that my vulnerability makes me more relatable and me sharing my struggles. Other people can go, oh, yeah, OK, she struggles, too. Like, it's nice to know she's human because I don't want people putting me on a pedestal or looking to me as this kind of person that knows more or is better than I want to people to know, like, hey, we're on the same level. I might just have some more knowledge or some more experience around specific things I've gone through. But I, I want you to know, like, I relate to that and I've been there. And so I can I can really support people in that. You know, I think that's really important that we make ourselves relatable, not make ourselves that we show up as relatable. Yeah. And I, I think it's maybe this is something you've seen as well. But having been in the, the personal development space and the coaching space and thought leader space, mostly as a student and as an observer, but now being a part of it, um, I've noticed over the last few years that it's become a entrepreneur hack to become authentic. And it's like uh, it doesn't really work that way. You can't decide that suddenly my business model is I'm going to be authentic. You either are or you aren't, but you can't decide that this is going to be a business hack that's going to move me forwards. And I just, I see so much of that. And I think that's part of what turns people away just from, I mean, there are some people that as soon as it's about a personal development book or nonfiction or anything like, oh no, I'm, that that's not for me. That's not my thing. And I think that it, it that a lot of those veneers of perfectionism scare people away. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And you know, there are, the coaching world is growing 
coaching leaps and bounds, as we know, and there's so many coaches out there and we're, we're in the thick of it. So we see it even more so. And, you know, there's a lot of coaches, there's so many different types of coaches and the way people put themselves out there. And what I've really learned throughout these last couple of years is that I don't want to follow some formula or follow, you know, what this person is doing because they're making that much money. Like I want to really show up in a way that people can feel connected to me and relate to me and where I can create a community and a space for people to feel safe and to share and to, to know that they're supported no matter what. And it's not about how I look or how much, you know, money I have or all the, the programs and courses I have. It's not about that. It's about really creating community and helping my community live from a values-based place. So that's, that's, what's really important to me. Yeah. One of the many things that we have in common, I'm approaching it exactly the same way where I've even told my team multiple times, I said that the value in this program is in building the community, getting the right people in here so they can support each other. I'm facilitating that. It's I'm not building a, a list of uh, followers. And it's for me, it's just about how do I build that community? Um, but the funny thing is that just because of all the connotations that come with coaching and personal development, I've had more than one student or potential student in the last year that during an introductory call, they said this all this all seems almost too good to be true. So I just have to ask, is this a cult? I'm like, uh-huh. no, nope, not a cult. But I've, uh, I've, I don't know if that's something you've ever heard, but it's something I've gotten more than once just because of the way that this, this, uh, this is portrayed from the outside world. And then once I've had these people come in, of course, you know, I've given them the Kool-Aid and given them the maps to the other, the, the seventh realm. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Oh, um, wait. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't have said that public. Oh, my God. Um, but once they're in it, they're like, oh, I just I think I thought that because. I've just never seen a space where everybody's actually helping each other and it's not so intensely competitive and it's this zero sum game where if I'm going to be successful, you can't be successful and I need to step on you to get where I want. And they think it doesn't actually have to be that way. I didn't realize there was an alternative and that's the space that I love creating where it's not about me getting all the jobs. It's about helping everybody else find their way and find the right jobs that are fulfilling to them around people that are going to support them and not exploit them. Um, And that's, that's the most important thing. You know? Yeah. And I think we also have to trust that the people that are attracted to us are in a certain place in their lives and they're ready to, they're, they're, you know, we, we find different people at different times in our lives. And I've, you know, I've, I've been the seeker. I've been the person who's like, Oh, Wayne Dyer and now untethered soul. And now Louise Hay. And I've done all of that. And the, you know, the chasing and the seeking and, you know, when I stopped doing that, I realized that I have all the answers within me, but that doesn't mean that I don't also need help to bring those answers forward, you know? And I think that we all come into things at, in different levels in our lives, you know, people who are coming to you, they're seeking out a specific thing around, right, balance and life. And they're, they're freelancers and entrepreneurs that are looking to like, you know, find more balance in their life. Like, how do I get that? And people who come to me, you know, in the past, they're, they're struggling with food and they, they really, you know, they have this dysfunctional relationship with food. They're struggling with their weight. And so, but they're also on a spiritual path yet. They, there's like this one thing in their lives that they can't get past. And I think, you know, we have to give grace to everybody and give people the dignity of their own process because we're all at different stages and levels, you know? And so, People who are attracted to your stuff are going to be different than people who are attracted to other people's things. So it's like, 
we have to just trust that those people that find us and come to us are, those are the people that are meant to be in our community and we need to serve them, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's one thing that I talk about very much with my students in my community, which by the way, is not coaches. So anybody is listening so far is like, why are they talking so much about coaching? I promise this isn't a conversation just for fellow coaches, but as, as entrepreneurs or as freelancers, which in a way we are, we are running our own business. And there's a certain energy that we have to put out to the world so we can attract the right people and work on the right projects or whatever it might be to make sure that the work we do is actually fulfilling and we want to get up in the morning. So even if somebody is listening to this, that works in Hollywood and does a quote unquote technical job and says, I have nothing to do with coaching or the spiritual world or personal development, you are a business of one and you have to put out a certain energy with a certain mindset to attract the right people. And what I want to dive into, make a, a little bit of a segue to right now is this idea of tying what we do to our identity, which is a very, very slippery slope. Yes. And I know that this is something that you are navigating right now because your identity for years has been the food coach. You deal with food and mindful eating and intuitive eating and have been very successful with that. But then what happens the morning you wake up and you say, I don't want to talk about food anymore, but everybody else wants to talk to you about food. And it's not just what you do for a living or how you earn money. It's kind of who you are. Yeah. So let's talk about the difficulty of navigating the transition from this was my identity, but I don't want it to be anymore. My gosh, it's so hard. I'm, I'm, I talk about being in it. I'm in it. And I, you know, my business, I've had my business since 2007 and it has transformed a lot over the years, you know, and I've had many different, very, like, variations of it, I guess, or variations of myself based on my own growth and where I am in my life. And I started out purely as Tony Horton's private chef, right? Tony Horton's the celebrity fitness guy who created P90X. He's a very close friend of both of ours and helps so many people all over the world. And, you know, and then I got into the, the nutrition piece. And then from there, I was like, God, nutrition is just not touching where people are struggling with consistency and emotional eating and all that. And then I went down that realm because that was part of my own personal struggle is I was an emotional eater most of my life, you know, and then kind of over these last few years, even before the pandemic, I was like, it feels like such a privilege to talk about my issues with food. Right. And I just, with all the things that have been going on in the world, I'm like, there's so many other things that are like so much more important. And not that food isn't, but the food is just a symptom of like what we're doing with food is just a symptom of something deeper going on. And that's really what I want to get to. I want to get to the core of like what's underneath that, you know, and it's not your weight, your the extra weight you're carrying on your body and the way you eat food is not about either of those things. It's about something deeper. And so that's really where I started to go in my head and my journey, but letting go of that identity of transformational eating coach and, oh, you know, nutrition and you wrote cookbooks and blah. That's been really challenging because it's not like I'm seamlessly moving into the next phase of my business and making all this money and feeling and having all these clients knock on my door. I've been really having to go inward and look at myself and how I want to serve people in a different way so that we can get to the core of what, of all the symptoms of these things. Right. And so 
equine coaching has been part of that for me because I have, because my love for horses and my love for nature and the way I feel around horses and seeing people around horses, just like, it just blows my mind how in tune and intuitive and intelligent and connected emotionally horses are. And so for me, really helping people navigate their emotional landscape has been, that is really like how I want to help people. Cause that's what I've been doing for myself. And it's really been difficult and challenging. And I don't even know what my next identity looks like. I've been floating in the messy middle here for a while. <laughs> and my coach, my, my business coach would always say like, embrace the messy middle. I'm like, but wait, you don't understand. I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I like things black and white and I like to control stuff. So that's been difficult. And I don't even know what my next identity is other than I want to be outside with animals and people helping them. Like that's really where I want to be. And if that identity is like, you're a cowgirl, you put on cowboy boots and you you're in dirt all the time. I'll take it. I love that. But I still don't know what it all looks like. And so I'm still navigating kind of that, that messy middle area. And it's, it's not easy. You know, it's why they call it the messy middle. And you know, I've had to get support from the government and because of COVID and losing a lot of my clients because of that. And, you know, so it's been a really challenging time. And then going through what I went through in December with my dog and not being able to work for a couple months, like I've been going through this big roller coaster ride, you know, and there's days where I'm like, why, why did I choose to become an entrepreneur? (laughs) Like what, because it is in my bones. When I think about getting a job, I feel like someone just punched me in the stomach. Like you have to go get a job. I'm like, no, like with every, (laughs) I know, like with every cell of my being, I'm like, no, no, no. And I felt that way my whole life. Although I didn't discover that I wanted to be an entrepreneur until I was in my late thirties. And that's when I started my business. So it took many years for me to get there, but like I've had, I think many different identities, but I think what I've been learning is like, how do we disconnect from identity? Because we're all these different things, right? I'm a dad, like you're a dad, right? You're a dad, you're an editor, you're all these things, right? And we can identify with those things, but they can be, those things can be taken away from us. Like, you know, our businesses can go away and our, you know, like there's things that can happen. And I think for me, it's more about like, how am I showing up in the world? Not, not this identity I have, but like, how am I showing up for myself and others in the world? You know, am I being honest? Am I being vulnerable? Am I, am I sharing my truth instead of like putting on this happy face and pretending everything's okay? Like that's, to me, that's more important than any identity, to be honest. Like, I just want people to feel supported and have permission to open their hearts and to share and to feel connected. Like that's, that's really what I want to create. And I don't even know what that identity is. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, but it is weird because our ego wants to hold on to all these, right. I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm this. And, and my ego has really been like, kind of like you what's going on. I don't, you know, excuse my French. I hope that's okay. But Oh, we've got bleepers. Don't worry. Okay. We'll, we'll bleep all that out. If I choose to, I might choose not to. We'll find out. Right. We'll see but how our I feel. egos, they want to hold on so tight to everything. And our egos that they cause so much suffering. And so I've been really doing this dance between my ego and my higher self. And like, 
what what's in my heart and and what's really important versus some freaking label of you're this coach or you're that coach or get right whatever that is right so does that answer the question <laughs> my sincerest apologies for the interruption but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation not only is the following promo not an interruption but listening has the potential to change your life because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Uh, it does answer the question and it brings up a whole host of other things okay, that I want to talk about. Uh, and the, what I want to dive into a little bit deeper is this idea of expectation. I've been talking and writing about burnout and all of the challenges uh, that go with it for years and years. And my hypothesis, and I've actually shared this with some of the world's foremost experts in the psychology of burnout and happiness and otherwise, and they've all said, oh, I actually think you're right. So I may have stumbled upon something even though I had no formal degrees. And I believe that burnout can be caused by a million different things, but it all comes down to it is setting improper expectations. Agreed. And I think when it when it comes to making any form of major transition in life, as you said, the expectation in our minds is it should be seamless. Why? Why do we think that this transition is going to be seamless? And if it's not just about, well, I have to learn new skills, or in your case, I have to build a new website or write new copy or create new funnels. Like there's a whole bunch of practical stuff, but all that is so far on the back end that has to come after you identify who is it that I'm becoming? And then how do I extricate myself from the previous identity? And people think that it's just a switch. So in my world, specifically for people that are creatives in Hollywood, it's, well, I am an editor that only does horror films and now I wanna do light comedies or character dramas, but everybody sees me as the horror film editor, or I'm an assistant editor and I wanna to move to whatever it is. There's all kinds of various major career transitions. And the challenge, there's really two main challenges that I help people with. And the first of which is nobody sees me as this thing. 
They're like, well, I, I want to be editing now. Everybody still sees me as an assistant. And I said, well, how do you see yourself? Well, I, I don't know. I, I guess, I, I mean, I'm still kind of an assistant, but I, I'm, I'm editing on the side. I'm like, you don't even see yourself as the thing that you want to become. So if you don't see it, how do you expect other people to see it and believe that you can fill this role? But the expectation is it's going to be a seamless transition where Friday afternoon, I walk away from this former identity in this job and Monday morning, it's the new one. And it's a spectrum of years of transition where you're balancing both. And for me and for, I think, everyone else too, the biggest struggle, and I want to hear more about how you're dealing with this struggle because I know you have, even for me specifically, when you're trying to extricate yourself from this identity, you have to say no to all the people that keep asking you to be that thing. So how are you navigating it when people, I'm sure even yesterday or a week ago, hey, Melissa, I got your information from this podcast. I'm having issues with food. Can you help me with food? At some point to remove yourself from the identity, you have to start saying no to really difficult choices. How are you navigating that right now? You know, it's interesting because part of me is like, do you need to say no or can it be both? You know what I mean? Because even if I want to move away from that quote unquote identity, it doesn't mean that I still can't help people if I choose in that arena. And so for me, the identity, the place that I'm moving toward is working with horses and humans. But that doesn't mean that if someone comes to me and I feel a connection with them, that I'm going to say no to them if they need help with food stuff. And I think for a while, I was in a very black and white place like that. And I did was saying no, but I realized that that actually wasn't serving me in my transition because it was so cut and dry. And like, yes, from an energetic standpoint, we want to move toward what we want and, and you know, leave the stuff in the back mirror or, wh or whatever they say, the back seat and don't look back. But I think it can be both. I don't think it has to be either or. And so I don't know if that's really the answer that people want to hear, but I think that when, for me, I'm such a, a feeler, and I make decisions by what I feel, not what I think. And that's part of my human design, which is a whole other thing. But I'm an emotional decider. And that's just kind of my makeup. I've always been that way my whole life. And so I think when I get into my logical mind and I start to say, well, I should do this because I'm moving away from that, it doesn't serve me. And this is different for everybody, right? It just depends on you as a person and what your makeup is and how you like what works best for you. So for me, it's been learning that it doesn't have to be either or, and that I can say yes when I want to. For example, I ran a masterclass two weeks ago on food that I haven't done in a long time. And I had, you know, over a hundred people register from my list that are still very interested. And I, I enrolled six people into my Empowered Eaters Club. And I feel excited to actually do it. You know, it's not before it was feeling like a drain and like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And but I feel really excited because I've deepened in kind of the work, the emotional work. It's not really like I said earlier, it's not really about the food. It's it's about the symptoms. And so when I presented this club to the people who are in it now, it came from such a different place. For me, it's not either or it's it's both and, <laughs> you know, and I think that maybe one day I will fully let go of the food stuff, but I also am still part of 
Tony Horton's world. I'm on his platform and, you know, he's, he's about fitness and nutrition and food. And I very much feel passionate about what he brings to the world and being part of his team. And so I think I can dance in both worlds for now. And it may not be that way forever. Um, but I think it was harder for me when I was actually going, no, I can't do that. I have to only do this. And so that's how it was for me personally. And it's different for everyone. And so um, I've just been kind of tuning into what feels right for me as I'm going along versus what I think I should be doing. So does that make sense? It not only makes sense, but I think it's so important that you had said this. And had I tried to feed you the right answer, you beat what I would have said would have been the right answer, but it was all very organic and honest and authentic. Uh, but the answer is not, it's either or. It's not black and white. It's not, I was this thing yesterday and now I'm this thing today. But I find so often, I get this question from my students all the time, where once I help them develop the mindset that I am now making the transition, this is actually one of the things that I try train them with, with language is when they start in the program, well, I'm hoping to do this one day, or I'm trying to do this. I'm like, from here forwards, you are making the transition and you are in it. Welcome to the discomfort zone. No more of this hoping it's going to happen Sunday. You started the moment you joined, but then as they start to develop the mindset, yep, I am this next thing now, then I kind of become the Jiminy Cricket in their life. And I'm sure you experienced this too, where all of a sudden they need permission from me to do things. And the most common one that I see that's such a head scratcher is, well, I just got this first gig as an editor, for example, but now people are calling me that I've worked with in the past that have said, are you available to be an assistant? Am I allowed to talk to them and take the assistant job? I'm like, you don't need my permission to take it, but it's okay to be on this much grayer spectrum rather than it being black and white. I would be a hypocrite if I said you have to go from one to the other because I've been in the personal development space for eight years as a podcaster and a coach and an educator. And up until two weeks ago, I was editing TV for the last 15 months straight full time. But the, I think the difference for me, and maybe you, uh, you can uh, speak to this a little bit further, is from my perspective, what has become a yes the criteria has become so much higher if it's in the world of editing. So it's not just, well, I don't know, I guess I should, or it's a decent paycheck. It's like, if it's not an absolute hell yes and a no brainer, then it's absolutely a no. So I have turned down a multitude of projects that the me five years ago, I would just be smacking my face. Like, what are you doing? Why are you saying right. no? Yes. But I'm in a very different place and I'm okay saying no to these huge opportunities. And yes, is it, I don't know if it's necessarily a feeling of entitlement, but I've earned the position where I can get these opportunities that come from very successful people in the industry because I'm good at what I do, but I've also earned the right to be able to say no because it's not the right fit for my lifestyle needs. They're great projects, some of which have become huge successes, but I don't look at it on Netflix or wherever and say, oh man, I missed that opportunity because for me, it wasn't an opportunity because it would take away from my other lifestyle goals, my other identities, wanting to be a present father, wanting to be a present coach. So for me, I will say yes, but it's so much harder to get me to say yes to those things than it used to be. And it sounds like it's the same for you. Yes. And, you know, when Tony uh, had asked me to be a trainer inside Power Nation Fitness, I was like, God, but I'm moving away from this. Like, do I really? And then I was like, you know what? No, like I feel so honored that I can be a part of Tony's community and that he trusts me and that. I have like that wisdom comes so easy to me. And it, and it's like, it's a no brainer, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel hard. And so 
Um, but, but there are other food things that have come up where I'm like, no, I, I'm not going to choose that. And so, and for me, like, yes, I am moving more toward, you know, my, my, I have a group called the wholehearted woman, which is a membership group and really looking at life from a wholehearted values driven place. And then the work I do with the horses and like, that's all happening, you know, and that's, it's been a process. I've been wanting to work with horses for over 10 years. So that's that to tell you, that's how long it's taken but I'm finally like, I've built the relationships over these last four or five years where I volunteer at a therapeutic riding center and I've built the relationships with the horses. And I'm like, it's time for me to be doing this work and I'm getting my certification. And so I've been taking all the steps, but there's been a lot of my own fear standing in the way of me moving toward that. So I've had to really hear other people in my ear going, girl, I so see you doing that. Like that is so your Dharma, you know, like that's so what you need to be doing. And just hearing people say that and knowing that in my heart has helped me move toward it. It doesn't mean it makes it easier or less scary, but I've, you know, been moving toward it and it's, it's a process. And I'm, I'm in very much in the process, even though I've been running workshop, equine workshops and things like that, but it will eventually be my full-time thing. But I also know like right now, it doesn't have to be either or. I get to do both. So another area that gets even more complicated as part of this conversation where you're transitioning between one identity to another. It's one thing if you have these different cohorts where the world of Tony Horton and his Power Nation Fitness Group, that's a group where they know you as fitness and nutrition and mindfulness, right? And then you have a totally different cohort of people and they don't know each other. And these are the people that see you as the, the equine, uh, you know, horses and whatnot. And I don't know if this is a challenge you've dealt with, but I know it's a challenge that I recently dealt with and a lot of the people in my community deal with, where now you have to change the minds of the people that are already in one area and switch it to another. And an example would be, you need to convince Tony Horton that you're not the nutrition person and now you're the person that you know deals with horses and female empowerment. Because I know for me, there have been worlds within worlds, for example, the editing world, where people that have seen me as an editor for more than a decade, I have to convince them that's not my identity anymore. It's not a matter of I have to convince myself and I say yes to editing jobs on one side of my life. And then I say yes to, you know, coaching and education on the other side, but there's no intersection. How do you manage it when all of a sudden it's the same person that you want to work with in the future, but you have to convince them that you're in a totally different role? I mean, I don't know that the word convince is not convincing me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not really feeling like I would need to convince anybody because I, I really believe that. I mean, listen, the work I do overlaps. Cause like I said, the, the stuff about food isn't really about the food. It's about the symptoms. And so I work with all, or not about the symptoms, it's about the underlying core things that are going on, which are, can be limiting beliefs or trauma or things like that. And that's the work I do with the horses. And so I've actually had people from Tony's group come into some of my other offerings that aren't food related because they understand that, you know, oh, there are deeper things happening here, you know? So I don't know if I necessarily would think I would need to convince anyone other than this is also another thing I'm doing. And this is a part of who I am as well. And it doesn't, again, it goes back to that either or. And I think, with, with, you know, with what you're talking about, like being an editor, it's such a, it's such a different world because it's a very specific thing, you know? And it's like, you're moving from like one complete, realm to kind of another realm. And, and you've actually been, 
you've been merging the two in a really beautiful way from what I've witnessed. And, and I think that this again goes back to like, we find the people or the people come to us who are ready to hear what we have to offer and to, to bring support to. So it's like, you know, like, do I need to convince Tony that I'm the horse person? No, I get to say, this is another thing that I'm doing that it can help, right. That can, can help. And maybe some of those people from LA can come up to Santa Barbara and experience a workshop and experience what it's like to be out in nature with horses and like how empowering that is, you know what I mean? So I think that that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like, I don't, you know, and, and not needing to define the identities, but just saying like, I do all these things and that's okay. And I think through COVID, a lot of us have had to like do a lot of different things <laughs> to survive and make money. Right. We've had to all kind of scramble and do different things and have different jobs and, and all of that. And so I think it's, it's not about putting ourselves in a box, but like really just saying, I am all these things. And whoever is, I have to trust that whoever I'm meant to serve is going to show up. Once again, somehow you've stolen the answer key to all of my questions and uh, gotten, gotten a step ahead of me. No, don't apologize because it's great. Um, but I think that the really important thing you brought up right off the bat is I don't want to have to convince people, right? And one of the things that I help my students with is that if you're ready to make that transition, you need to be telling a different story about yourself. And once that story changes and you believe that story and you see that new identity, then the wrong people are going to say, no, I don't want to work with you. You just do this one thing and I don't want you for this other thing. And the right ones are going to say, well, you know what? You did such a great job with this. And like you said, there's a lot of overlap. And in my world, that would be a lot of transferable skills where if somebody says, well, you were great in this role, there's no reason you can't be great in this new role as long as I'm willing to accept that there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve. But it's not about convincing people. That's what I hear all the time from my students. Well, how do I convince this director where I used to be their assistant, now I'm going to be their lead editor? Or a composer says, well, you know, it's just on this composing team and just did some orchestration in the background, but now I need to convince the same person I'm the lead composer. You don't need to convince them. But you need to tell a different story. Number one, conveying the confidence that I am assuming this identity. Number two, there's a lot of transferable skills and past experience that still bring value to you. So you can either accept that this is who I'm becoming and we can work together, or I go on my merry way. But that's really, really scary for people to put themselves in that position. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think a lot of it when you're talking about, you know, who we're becoming, I think owning, like owning it is part of it, right? Like owning that I want to move into this next place in my life. And what does that mean for me to own it, you know, and to, to really like not have to convince people, but show up as that person, like show up as that quote unquote identity that we're talking about. And yeah, and that is, it, it can be scary, you know, cause we're moving from something that we've relied on and depended upon and other people have depended upon us for results from right to this other thing. that's like, Hmm, I don't know. Am I going to have the same experience or am I going to be successful or am I going to you know, be able to embrace this identity and do the the job that I want to do, you know, or, or provide the support that I want to provide to people, whatever it is. So, yeah, it, I think, again, it goes back to like the messy middle, like how do we navigate that as we're moving from one place to another? And I think a lot of that is like really giving ourselves grace and not, not needing it to be so black and white and just really listening 
I think listening to our intuition and our hearts and like what, what's really important to us. And I think that that's a lot of us get disconnected from that. We just do what we think we should be doing, you know? Yeah. You, you have a have. lot more influence in my coaching program that you might know, because I've stolen a lot of stuff from you, uh, <laughs> from all the exercises that we did. And I'm going to, I don't know if this is one that I stole directly from you, but it was inspired by you. And I want you to tell me if this is a, a good thing or a crazy thing or a bad thing or otherwise, but um, I've, I've done my best to tap into my intuition. Um, as you know, I'm much more uh, a human doing than I am a human being. And I'm trying to, trying to work on that. It's a very much a work in progress. Um, but I'm working on bringing intuition into the program a lot more. And when we talk about this major life or career transition, or frankly, both, and we're talking about intuition and dr being driven by emotion rather than just logic, there's a question that I ask my students when they have an opportunity that comes up and they're unsure. And usually it's an opportunity that comes up that isn't necessarily the right fit for where they're going next, but it's it still adheres to that former identity and maybe it's a good paycheck or another good credit. There's a temptation. There's a carrot at the end of the stick, but it's not necessarily the right carrot. And I always ask them this question and they give me the weirdest look. But the question is, when you think about going into work, are you nervous or are you anxious? And their response is, What's the difference? So I'm curious what your thoughts are about this question and what your interpretation is of the difference. I will share mine afterwards, but you may not even realize it, but it's largely inspired by the work that you and I did together and kind of tapping into my ability to, to intuit rather than just logic my way through everything. Yeah. So for me, nervousness is more about excitement. Like it's, it's like, I'm nervous because this means something to me, right? Like it's, it's more about excitement and connection and, and just like, there's a little bit of fear here, but this is something I'm excited about. And that's where the nervousness comes from. Anxiousness to me comes from a space of fear and like, gosh, am I like, is this really aligned for me? Or is this what I really want? Or does this feel like my truth? You know? So for me, that's what the difference would be. And, um, yeah, anxiousness to me is different than nervousness because I feel like, I mean, they, there's a fine line between the two of them, but I feel like anxiousness comes just more from a place of fear than nervousness does. I, I completely agree. Uh, so we're once again on the same page. The way that I often describe it to my students is, do you feel butterflies or do you feel this giant, heavy black pit in your stomach? Yes. When I <laughs> right. explain it that way, they're like, oh God, it's totally the pit in my stomach. Then you need to run from this opportunity as far away as possible because it's not an opportunity. Or they say, oh God, like I'm, I'm breaking out in a sweat and like I'm super nervous and I got butterflies. I'm like, you need to dive into that with a full head of steam because that is your system, your body and or the universe, depending on what you believe, telling you this is the next stage, but it's scary as hell. And there are things that you don't know and you're going to fail, which is usually the biggest area of fears that, oh my God, but I might fail, but that's where all the fun stuff happens. Like I, I the, probably one of the top three times I've ever been the most nervous in my life. And I will never forget this moment. It was about four, four and a half years ago where I got an email from Shauna, Shauna Horton, who's Tony's wife and also business partner. And like they're, they're a lot of what they're building, they're building together. And this was before Power Nation existed. But through a connection of a connection, we you know, got, uh, got on the, the email conversation back and forth. And she said, hey, why don't you and your friend come to Tony's on Sunday for a ninja workout? I still get nervous telling the story. I have I mean, 
I've been doing it every Sunday for four years, but I was terrified of like, oh my God, I actually have to go in front of one of my heroes and I need to, what I knew was going to be a spectacular fail because I wasn't even remotely ready to be around people of that caliber, but I knew that was the next stage of the journey. If I'm really going to achieve something this difficult, I have to surround myself with people that are better than I am and I need to be the worst one in the room. <laughs> so it was like literally butterflies everywhere, like jelly legs and scary, but it was the best kind of fear and scary possible. And one of the best decisions that I've ever made because I'm a completely different person because I embraced that fear, but never was it anxiety. It was always the nerves and the butterflies. And what I, I guess what I want to help people with, and this is an area where you can be much, much better at helping them than I could be. How do you help people get better at identifying the difference? Because logically, it's like, oh, yeah, that kind of clicks and makes sense. It's another thing to actually sit in yourself when you have this experience and answer what am I feeling right now? So what are some ways that we can help people tap into that and become more intuitive about whether they're feeling nerves or anxiety based on potential opportunities? Well, I mean, I could say like, oh, sit down and meditate, right? Because that's, you know, meditation is one of those things that actually helps us hone our intuition. But to be honest, this might sound kind of weird, but like I actually talk to the parts of my body where I feel stuff. So like if I feel like anxiousness, like I actually ask that part of my body, like, what are you, like, you're anxious. What, what's going on? Like, what do you need? Well, I'm scared or I'm, you know, I actually talk to those parts of myself. And this is part of therapy called internal family systems. It's also gestalt therapy where we actually speak to different parts of ourselves. But I think like, oftentimes it's about taking a long enough pause to understand like, am I in my head and kind of spinning around things or am I in my body really understanding, like feeling what's happening here? Am I, am I in my body and really tapping into the feelings that are coming up? Like, where am I feeling this in my body? Cause for me, like my anxiousness always lives in my chest. That's where I feel it. And so immediately I'll put my hand there and say like, what's going on? Or I'll feel I'll feel like a feeling of dread if there's something that doesn't feel aligned, right? If there's like some, I committed to some job or some speaking thing that, that wasn't aligned. And I said yes at the time, but I'm like dreading it coming up, you know? And so I'll often just sit and breathe to, to really get in my body. And I know that a lot of people might be going, oh God, that sounds like woo woo and this and that. But like, to be honest, our bodies will never lie to us. They're always going to tell us the truth. This will always lie to us, right? Our ego is always going to lie to us and what we, all the logic. And because then we're trying to like measure everything based on our thoughts versus like, how does this feel in my body? And if there's fear here, what am I afraid of? You know, sometimes I'll do worst case scenario with people like, if that worst case scenario came true, what would you do? And they go, oh, oh, actually I would do this. And okay, I'm not that scared anymore. It's really about our bodies and like taking enough time to pause and attune and check in and listen and take a couple breaths and like see what's going on there because that's, our body's gonna give us a lot of answers. You know, we immediately will always go to the head or the ego. So that's kind of how I offer that to my clients. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. 
and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day, and that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. I love that. And I mean, my by far, my default state is always going to be the logic side of things, the analytical side of things, and have been fighting my whole life to try and not let that be the only person in the driver's seat. Um, but when it comes to analyzing the body, this is another thing that you helped me with and I've learned through other forms of meditation as well, is that it's not just a matter, I feel this and I feel it everywhere. It's where do I feel it? And it's interesting because I feel it in different places than you uh, expressed. So for me, anxiety is in my stomach which is probably no surprise why I stress eat because when the anxiety is coming up and I know I'm doing something I don't want to be doing or there's some kind of struggle that I, I want to get away from because it's the bad kind of fear, that's when food becomes a big part of the picture, right? It's smoother. It, it soothes you. Yeah. Exactly. But what I've also learned is that for me, the the nervousness or the butterflies or the, the better stuff, I feel that in my chest. So for example, the last two times that I've been on the starting line for American Ninja Warrior in front of an audience and cameras and lights, I swear to God, my entire chest was just going to pop open, like so much pressure, nothing in my stomach. It was all in the, the chest. And another thing that I've learned, and I think this was a conversation we had at one point, is that if I feel intense emotion in my throat, that's sadness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've learned what are the different parts of my body and that's really helped me better make those decisions. So if all of a sudden my, my heart is racing and my chest is going to explode, well, usually I just got to suck it up and I got to, that's something I need to embrace because it's probably good for me, but I'm scared of the unknown. But if I really feel this kind of gut-wrenching feeling in my stomach, it's like, I, I got to run away from that. And there's something about this, this that isn't right. Uh, so I think that that's a good practical strategy for people to just do a very simple body scan and be like, what? And it could be different, different places or areas of the body. But just building that awareness, like people have no idea how vitally important and valuable awareness is to every facet of life. Oh, my gosh. It's so it's so huge. I mean, it's the first step in any kind of change. Obviously, we have to be aware before we make any change, but there's always, we have to back that up with action, right? So we can be aware that, oh, I have, you know, I, I, I feel anxious and it's like, okay, well, if you want that anxiousness to change or move, or you want to understand it better, that's where kind of going inward and really just taking a moment to like 
check in with yourself and ask yourself, like, what's happening here? What's my fear? What am I, you know, and that's journaling is really great, a great thing for that too, because you can just kind of write out what's happening and it, sometimes it can give you clarity, you know? So that's a great practice too, that can help kind of help you understand what's happening in your system, you know? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, another direction that I want to go with this. This is going to go even a little uh, deeper down the rabbit hole here. Right. And you you alluded to the word or the words, and I want to. I just want to embrace these. And those are the words woo-woo, which are as far from the analytical mind as you can possibly get. And we have this ongoing running joke that really isn't a joke, but we call it the woo-woo factor in my program. I cannot explain this and I'm not expecting you to explain it because I frankly don't know if any of us can, but I know that you're definitely tapped into maybe better being able to, to make sense of this. But what I see over and over and over and over again is I have somebody come into my program that doesn't have their mindset right. They're dealing with the, all the things we've talked about, the anxieties or the fears of making a transition or putting myself out there. As soon as they make the decision in their mind or the intention, this is where I'm going, all this weird, crazy shit just starts to happen in their life and they can't explain it. They're like, well, for years I've been doing this one thing and I've gotten nowhere. I joined this program and three weeks later, I'm getting three job offers doing the thing that I want to do. And I didn't even email or put anything out there. What the hell is going on? What is going on? Or it can also be things that like you start to put your intention towards something and all the stuff stands in the way, like more things come up that stand in the way. So it can go both ways. I mean, listen, here's the deal. Everything's energy, right? So like, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, what we put where our, where our attention goes, things grow, right? So I'm a big believer in that. But I also think that there's a lot of things internally we, that, that block us from moving toward what we want. And that's why I do such deep emotional work with my clients is because there are so many ways that we can sabotage ourselves and where we can block ourselves from actually getting, like, even if we decide that's the thing I want that can keep us from getting that thing, you know? So I, I, I heard on a podcast, I can't, I can't remember if it was like Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle where they were talking about woo woo. And they were saying like, the fact that we even call it woo woo is actually denying that there's something bigger at play here, you know? And that, and that we get to embrace it all. And that instead of calling it woo-woo, just let's let's look at it as like, this is, this is part of our lives. This is energy. There's something bigger here at play that we can't understand. And that we don't know how actually how it works, but like, yeah, opportunities show up and you're like, what the heck? You know, why did that show up? And it's something that's not explainable, you know? But I also think that, the more we do our work and clear our blocks and create our different mindsets and belief systems, I believe that like life really presents us with opportunities, you know? And like, I could say, yeah, I met Tony Horton on accident and it was all just a fluke, but no, it actually wasn't. You know what I mean? I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that everything happens for a reason. Like that's just the way I think. And even when it's hard I still believe it happens for a reason, which sucks because I'm like, what I've been going through, I'm like, okay, what's my lesson here? You know, I always want to look at things from a place of what am I learning, you know, and where can I take responsibility for what's happening in my life? So I don't know. There's things that are unexplainable, you know, and we just don't, we just don't know why they happen. And 
I'm also a big believer in energy and like, like, you know, like attracts like, and the more energy we put towards something, the more focus we put towards something that's going to evolve and grow. Yeah. And I think that the, the area of this, and I realized we could very quickly get very existential and I'll try not to go too crazy existential, but we're going to get a little existential. Uh, I think that for those that don't believe everything happens for a reason, because this is, this can be a very, you know, um, tumultuous topic to have with people, um, to have this conversation. But I think that for those that want to believe it, but don't, it's, yeah, but what's the reason? And we had this, again, going back to expectations, we should expect at some point to understand the reason. <laughs> we just think, well, this happened, but within a week or a month, or certainly within a year, I'm supposed to understand why this happened and why it wasn't a coincidence. We may never get the answer. We may, we never. may, ne we may never know what it is. Um, but I, I believe very, very similarly. Um, and again, not going to get into any specific religions or whatnot, but anybody that claims that they understand how all of this works is completely and totally full of shit. Because I think asking a human to explain how the universe is constructed is like asking my puppy to do calculus. Exactly. Yes, we have the Stephen Hawking's and the Neil deGrasse Tyson's, but they're just barely scratching the surface of understanding. And for us to actually get all of this, I think is just it's pretty much an impossible expectation, certainly at least in our lifetimes, maybe 10,000 years down the road through more evolution. But for me, it's not so much about I have to understand. It's that I have to embrace that I know that it's there. I see this happen way too many times, way too consistently to other people to believe that it's a fluke. There has to be something. And what's so important about what you said is taking responsibility for it. Instead of seeing everything through the framework of, well, this was a failure or this sucks or why is this happening to me? It's like, well, this is happening. Didn't want it to be, but where is the lesson? How can I turn this failure into forward momentum so that I can at least grow from it even if I never understand why it happened? And, you know, especially when it comes to horrible tragedies, it's really hard to, to see the good in it or how do I fail forwards from this horrible thing that I had nothing to do with that has, uh, you know, been put upon me. But all you can do is take responsibility for whatever that circumstance is and move forwards. But we may not understand why. But I just I, I have a hard time believing that none of this has some form of meaning beyond which which we cannot comprehend. Agreed. Agreed. And I. Yes, you're right. This this conversation could go really deep into stuff. And I think that just from, from my own perspective, I really believe that everything that happens in my life is meant to bring me back to myself. And, and for me to remember the truth of who I am, which is I'm a human being. And, you know, I basically, I, I, I am just I am created from love. That's what I believe. And I, I think that everything that happens is meant to bring me back to the reminder of that and that I am connected to something bigger than myself. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean the logical mind like wants to, we want to, as humans, we want to figure everything out. We want to know what everything means. And there's a lot of stuff we can't ever figure out, you know? So I think that part of when we go through hard stuff, the way we can be responsible and take responsibility versus becoming a victim of, cause it's so easy to become a victim of like, why did this happen to me? You know, this sucks. And like, yeah, it does suck. And we can, we can have a little pity party here once in a while. We are human. Right. So we get to acknowledge that, but I think it's, it's just more about like, okay, this is going to help me be a stronger person or a more empathetic person or a more compassionate person and more, right. Whatever this is, it's helping me grow into some other kind of person, even if I don't know what that is right now. 
Yeah, I think that all of that is so, so important. And what I want to kind of wrap things up with is going back a little bit earlier and the conversation as it relates to what we're saying now about this idea of we had this former identity, we're trying to move to this new identity. But as you've talked about, no matter what your identity is as a coach or a human being or whatnot, there's a deeper why underneath all of it that's consistent. Right. So you realize that food is just a symptom of deeper underlying issues. And, you know, the horse is maybe one direction to be able to address those symptoms or the the female empowerment group is another way. But there's a deeper why that kind of goes along with everything. And once people tap into this, like for me, when I realize that the deeper why that I have is connected to the kinds of TV shows that I gravitate towards, is connected to the kinds of things that I want to write about, is connected to the things that I want to teach or coach, it's all the same thing, just in different mediums. And I think that's also one of the things that makes the transition easier is they're a lot more similar than you think. So if you were to distill instead of I'm the person that teaches mindful eating or nutrition or has cookbooks, or I'm the person that has a female empowerment group building this, this equine, um, you know, community so people can connect with horses. What's the deeper why that connects all of it for you? And how can we help other people find what that deeper thread is for them? That's a great question. So, so three things came up for me when you asked that question, connection, community, and service. So for me, that's what my life is based off of. Those are three of my top life values, connection, community, and service. And like, when I think about those three things, that's, that's what my life is built on. And it's almost like innate in me. I cannot not be of service and not everybody feels that way. You know, for other people, it might be connection or it might be, I I don't know. Everybody has different things, but like when we get down to the deeper, deeper, why is it really about having a lot of money? Like what's, why do you want the money freedom? Right? So it's like, what are the deeper core values or the deeper things that have meaning to you? And like, that's what drives it for me, you know? And so everything that I do and, and I, and I bring this to myself because it's always hardest for myself because when I'm going through hard shit, I want to isolate. And if I have a value of connection and community and I want to isolate, right? The hardest thing for me to do is to reach out and make connection and build community. But it's the one thing that's going to heal me. And so I think the thing that like our deeper why sometimes is the hardest thing for us to actually engage in too, even though it's what drives us. And so, you know, there's always two sides to everything. And, and I think that the more I stay connected to those things, the more my life feels in alignment and grounded and just real versus, you know, living in this kind of like place of, well, it has just the egoic place, you know, it's more from living from the values of like what, what's really at my core. Yeah. And I, the, the reason that I wanted to ask this is because what we're doing is we're reassigning an identity that you never really have to give up. If you're waking up every day and saying, my identity is I'm a transformational eating coach. And I'm like, (laughs) nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Well, now what the hell do you do with your life? But if your identity is I'm somebody, you know, that is connected and I am of service, 
you can do that in 150,000 different ways, but you're still attached to that core identity. And this is an exercise that I take my students through and it didn't even remotely occur to me to tell this person's story. But as you were talking, like, I know exactly who I want to talk about. So I'm going to share uh, one of my students' stories, not name any names, but as he's listening, because I know he will, um, he's going to just totally blush and be like, oh my God, he's talking about me. I'm not going to share any names. <laughs> um, but it's a, a student of mine uh, that uh, fairly early in his career and wants to be a composer. And I just a composer, but wants to be like, you know, one of the big composers, like the next Hans Zimmer, right? Um, and we started talking about the work he's done in the past, where he's done some work for animation or commercials or trailers and all these other things. And then we talked about what are what are some of the, the transformational or really impactful films or TV shows or just music you've heard in the past that was the spark where you realize this is really what I want to do. And he named a few films. And we started to break it down much deeper, not just, well, this is a horror, or this is sci-fi or whatever, because those are just different mediums to share a story and share an emotion. But what we found is that the reason he was gravitating to these specific films and the sound is because it connected all the way back to when he had seen these movies as a child. Oh. And it was a shared experience with his father. Oh. And he didn't have a lot of shared experiences with his father, but in these movies he did. And the feeling that that music in these environments created for him, he realized this is what I want to do for others. I want to facilitate this connection, which makes it a whole lot easier for him to assign an identity that isn't something that's going to change every six months. It's not going to be, I'm a TV composer, or I'm a film composer, or I do horror, or I do whatever. It doesn't matter what the medium is, or he could even decide he doesn't want to be a composer. But as long as he knows that he creates work that's going to inspire and bring people together and enhance relationships, then he is adhering to what he believes is his true identity. And I think the deeper we go to find that identity, the easier it is to make these transitions. Agreed. I Yeah, that's really beautiful. And, you know, I... I just really think for me, it's, I think of that as my higher self, like that is my true higher self. I get, I get this idea about identity, but for me, identity is so rooted in ego. And for me, it's just like, this is the higher part of me. Like, this is where my heart speaks from, you know? And so like, yeah, that's incredible. That's an incredible story to like link that back to the connection with his father and wanting to create that connection for other people. So that's going to drive and inform everything he does, but it's not like an identity he's getting stuck in that that could like go away in six months, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's very, very similar to the way that my journey has gone. And just to, to kind of paraphrase little tiny bits of it as it relates to this conversation, my huge identity crisis came about seven years ago where I was at the pinnacle of my TV career and realized this isn't what I want to do for the next 30 years of my life because I'm never seeing my kids. I've told this story many times, not going to go into it again. And I know you've heard it privately because you know all my deepest, darkest secrets. Um, but the identity at the time was I'm an editor that's working towards winning Oscars. That's who I had been since I was literally nine years old. I'm going to be the best editor ever, and I'm going to win all the Oscars. And if that's not what I want anymore, who the hell am I? Right. Right? And then the transformation slowly became, well, wouldn't it be cool that instead of being the editor going after the Oscars, I'm the guy that's helping other editors get their Oscars, right? So it's kind of a subtle transition. But then as I dug deeper, it wasn't even about working with editors or working with people that want Oscars. It really became, I want to facilitate people's transformations 
so they can realize what they are truly capable of. Yes. I can do that in any medium or form. It doesn't have to be Hollywood. It can be in corporate America or it can be basket weaving. But once I realize that, it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm creating an online course or I'm editing a TV show or I'm writing a book or making, like none of it matters because that's the identity that I've been able to assume that makes it so much easier to navigate all the various transitions and what do I say yes to and no to. If I don't have the ability in some way, shape or form to help somebody realize they're capable of something more, it's an immediate no. But like the TV show I've worked on for years, that's kind of the whole theme of it. And I'm like, oh, I got to keep going back because <laughs> it's so aligned with kind of the, the deeper reason I do things. Yeah. It may not be the exact task or job I want day to day, but it's so in alignment with the theme and the identity that it's really, really hard to say no to. But then huge Oscar-winning actors and producers come around with a great project. It's like, oh, it's just this cool action sci-fi thing. I'm like, no, not even interested because it's not aligned with, like you say, that higher self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I love that. I just I wouldn't have it. gotten there, by the way, without you. So oh, a lot of this is your please. fault. You humble me. Thank you. I mean, Isn't it amazing how eating a bowl of Oreos in front of the television can end up becoming this? <laughs> right? By the way, I had an ice cream sandwich last night, last night while I was watching TV. So just full disclosure, good. I'm still a work in progress. It was hey, delicious, what, by though? the way. I mean, you... Uh, Listen, you have a whole different level of awareness now around what you're doing. And who cares if you have an ice cream sandwich during, right? Like, I hope it's you spring break. My kids got a whole bunch of crap. We don't usually allow them to get. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. I was going to say, I hope you enjoyed the hell out of it. Cause that's, that's the key, right? It's, it's yeah. when we beat ourselves up and guilt ourselves and shame ourselves. That's when it gets hard. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just, I want to reiterate one more time because this is the component that I think frustrates people the most. And I know I need to hear it myself and I know you need to hear it as well. It's going to take as long as it's going to take. That's, yeah. I, I just want the transition to be over. I just want all the pieces to come together and I just want it all to work and it just never does. And I know that, like you said, you're in the messy middle, I'm in the messy middle. I kind of feel like everyone globally in some way, shape or form is in the messy middle and it just is going to take as long as it's going to take. Let's just embrace it and just say, this is our reality, right? There's not anywhere to get to. It's just like, this is the reality and this is where we are, right? And it doesn't mean that we don't grow as human beings or work toward what we want, but like, this is the reality. And so the more we can embrace it and not fight against it, the less suffering we'll have, you know, and that's, that's all just part of the journey. It doesn't mean it's not hard and it doesn't suck sometimes, you know, but if we can embrace it, then it will be a whole lot better instead of fighting against it and resisting it. Yeah. And uh, I would say that uh, a lot of the background that I have in studying Buddhism is going to come out right now, but if you want to remove suffering, remove expectation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's just about not, always expecting a certain outcome. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I'm not saying I figured this out, but that's at least the place to start is if you can remove expectation, a lot of the suffering is going to go away. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things that I do with my clients where we start is looking at all their expectations they have around, you know, themselves, food, their family, their kids, like parenting, what are all the expectations? And you just go through each one and break it down and really look at it and like, ask yourself, where did that even come from? Is that still true for me? And, you know, and just starting to like, let go of and lessen. Cause I mean, men have their own set of expectations and then women have their, you know, all their people pleasing and taking care of and like all that stuff. And so there's so much there and there's so much we put on ourselves that doesn't need to be there, you know? So it is a big source of suffering. Well, this is uh, certainly another deep, dark wormhole that we could go down for hours and hours, but I do uh, want to- yes. 
Totally. I want to be very conscious of your time and how it's possible. We have already been going for well over an hour. I don't I know because I, I feel like I just connected, but this is kind of what happens when you and I, uh, we have a conversation. I know, I love it. I love it. Um, I do too as well. Uh, so before we go, I want to make sure that we're putting out the right energy and you are attracting the right people. And when you do attract the right people, they actually know how to find you and connect with you. Yeah. So how can they do that given that you're in the middle of so many different things right now in the messy middle? Well, I still have my same website, which is karmachal.com. I'm also on Instagram where I post a lot of stuff with the horses and things that I'm doing currently. And that's Mel Costello coach. Uh, my Instagram got hacked last year and I lost all of that. So I know. Oh, that Instagram. sucks. Oh yeah. And um, so you can find me at either of those places, but my website has a lot of different information. The equine stuff is on there as well. And, and also my other coaching I do. So everything's there. Excellent. And then uh, I would assume that you're very approachable and somebody could reach out to you directly, but Absolutely. I just want to, that that's what I assume. Just wanted to make sure that you were okay Email with that. Email at karmachal.com, M-I-S-S-Y at karmachal.com. Yeah, reach out. Excellent. Anybody. Uh, and anybody that's really scared about sending a cold outreach email to somebody you don't know, I might be able to help with that. Oh, um, yeah. That, that is an area that I uh, I can help you overcome some I of love those when fears. People, I love when people reach out and do stuff like that because it just shows me like how much like that they have courage to do that. And I love it. Well, I am just absolutely elated that uh, I was able to, to come out of my small little dark cave and uh, get on the microphone <laughs> with you today. Because as, as you had said, um, you have a tendency to want to isolate when you know that you should be doing the opposite. And my immediate, uh, the, the logical side of my brain said, just cancel everything. Don't do the podcast. Oh, just cancel you. all the stuff. And I'm like, nope, this is why I built a community. And this is why I have I all these people you. around me. So, you know, let's just figure out a way to, to get on this call and uh, and muddle through it. And yeah, uh, so, so happy we did. Deep. Yeah. You know, so thank thank you for showing up and thank you for inviting me back. This was wonderful. Yes, it was wonderful. Uh, so thankful to, to have you on the show. Thankful to have you in my life, even though we don't see each other nearly enough. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll see each other at the next Paragon. Yes, I hope so. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.